As promised, we're squeezing in this Yankees top prospect episode at the end of the week. I'm out here in Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. Very excited to take that in, scouting out the area here of, of where uh, the, the Oakland A's, soon to be Las Vegas A's, could go. Even though the mayor said, hey, I, I don't know if you guys should come here. This whole process is really wild. But I wish there was a minor league game going on here because I'd love to see you know the, the Las Vegas Aviators get after it and love to see the talent. But we're here to talk about the Yankee system. And it's a very fun system. And we're turning through the AL East. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. I think when we go into these Yankee system breakdowns, we're always prepared to talk about the same usual suspects for the most part, right? But there always seems to be just a few young guys or a few arms that the more you dive into, the more you're like, ooh, the Yankees may have something here. They usually end up trading those guys, yep. but they end up being good good trade assets for them. We're not here to, to try to conceptualize who they move and, and any of that stuff, but here we are again talking about the Yankee system even after a Juan Soto trade where you've got the top-end talent and then you've got guys that, I mean, when you're looking through this list, man, right, when we're going through it together, like you start to look at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and those guys in that range, and you're like, it could go one way or another, but one of those ways is a top 100 prospect that's going to make a major impact that could be a, a potential all-star. And not a lot of systems have guys with that kind of upside in the 7 to 11, 12, 13 range. And I thought, I mean, you could have made the case that there's a bunch more names to watch that we just don't even have enough info yeah. on, but that that has some upside, like guys at the complex that we could have littered in there. Fangraphs does a really good job of kind of giving you a TLDR on a bunch of the other complex guys or DSL guys if you want to check in. but like Jack, what were your immediate thoughts of, of of this system, kind of as as we've dove into it? Because I'm sure there was some names that probably just floated up to your radar, and you're like, okay, wow, they've got they've got some intrigue here. So, full transparency, I'm very unfamiliar with this system because I've never seen a Yankee affiliate. Like at any stop I've been That's at in the crazy. minor leagues, I've never once crossed paths with a Yankee affiliate, whether it be Hudson Valley or Tampa or Somerset or or Scranton, like. Unfortunately, the IL West hardly sees the IL East. And when we do see the IL East, it's just Rochester <laughs> or like yeah. it's Jacksonville and Griffin Conine and Kent Emanuel. And uh, like, you know, we, we run into two um, teams in the IL East. So I've, I've never really had the opportunity to watch a Yankee team, a Yankee farm team play over the course of a whole week. And you never really account for Yankee prospects in the grand scheme of the Yankees, because they're always just going to trade them for another starter, or they're going to pay somebody nine figures, which is what you mentioned. So I, I think when I was first looking at the list of 15 that you created, I was like, who is that? Who is that? Okay. I know Will Warren. Who is that? Who is that? Like, it, It's interesting to me that I didn't know who these people were. And then I dive in and I'm like, Oh wow, like there's a reason that guy got three million dollars in IFA. And there there's a reason that you like him as the number seven prospect in the system or things like that. There are a lot of other organizations where eleven through fifteen may be filled out with guys that seem like the floor is quad A and the ceiling is, you know, twenty-fourth, twenty-fifth man on a twenty-six man roster. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. with this one, the floor is never get past double. The ceiling is everyday big league player like you're mentioning and or or even better than that which is or which even is better crazy. than that fringe also yeah and i feel like when you're a team that 
is always going to try to spend to have the, the best talent at the big league level. It's going to be difficult for prospects to usually force their way through uh, and, and, and make an impact uh, the way that some can in other, in other areas. You want to have those high upside guys. Uh, you want to have those, those players that you do need to do a good job of being able to identify who is tradable and who isn't. And, and I look at, we'll talk about it when we get to Chase Hampton, is like why they elected to keep Chase Hampton and trade Drew Thorpe. You know, I, we don't know the behind the scenes situation. Maybe the Padres prefer Drew Thorpe. We don't know. Um, but just from the Yankees side, I would have preferred to keep, and I love Drew Thorpe. I would have preferred to keep Hampton. The more that I've watched, the more that I've, I've gotten into it. Like, you know, Thorpe was a top 100 guy. Hampton wasn't. But there were some things that I was able to dive into, getting more information, getting more data, uh, being able to see how that would project to the big league level that you're like, okay, I get why the Yankees kept this guy similar with some of their IFA guys, the ones that they try to hold on to that they see as building blocks versus the others is really interesting. But the last thing I'll mention before we jump into the names to watch is your name on here is, is Estevan Florial. And and that's an example of, you know, which is funny because he gets, he got traded over to the guardians. That's a guy that I feel like they didn't do that right with right like they could have cashed in on him a little bit earlier they could have cashed in on some of these other players that you know we always joked about Clint Frazier and Miguel and Duhar like those types and and they didn't but I think it's a little bit different the way they're operating now and you have some when you have a, a few really high upside guys at the top of the system and then you have some high upside guys still at the at the bottom of the top 10 that are volatile I think you can be a little bit more comfortable trading uh, th- those guys in the latter half. So we'll talk about just kind of how they fit in in terms of their projection and, you know, whether we think they can kind of rise up and, and be that next wave of, of Yankees talent uh, at the top of the system as the Dominguez's graduate, as the Wells's graduate, uh, the Hamptons even and, and guys like that. But we'll jump right into the names to watch unless you have any anything else on on kind of the general thoughts of the system. No, I was just going to say there is a burden when it comes to being a top three Yankee prospect, maybe just the top prospect in the Yankee system, but I would extend it to the top two, top three, where at some point you will be billed as the next coming of the Messiah. And (laughs) Esteban Florial was billed as that. Jason Dominguez was billed as that. And he debuted and looks like the second coming as a totally different Jason Dominguez. And and we're going to talk about that. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot when it comes to top 100 updates and center field prospects and all of that. But, you know, like Anthony Volpe last year, it's okay. You're the guy that officially is going to take the baton from Derek Jeter. That's so much pressure to put on. He was fine. He was he fine, was and fine. it feels like it feels like he was a disappointment because of the way that you know the expectations. And you could go all the way back to like Jesus Montero, right? And like yeah. you could go back to to guys like that. But even the expectations on Spencer Jones, which we'll get into, like there's there's a lot uh, that comes with being a Yankees prospect, 100. Um, percent And I think that's always an interesting component to this as well. Um, yeah. But we'll just start with some young guys, and you can just walk us through it, and and I'll chime in on each player as as you know if if I have anything to add there, but we start with a pair of Cernas who both are, are pretty intriguing cousins, Luis Cerna, the right-handed pitcher and Jared Cerna, the middle infielder, Jared is in high a Luis is in the complex. And by the way, had a half of a Reuben from the best Jewish deli we've got in middle America, Manny's deli in Chicago. So I am, I am nourished on the closest thing to cat's deli and I'm ready to go New York on you. Uh, Luis Cerna is devilish changeup. But he throws what ninety? He's maxing out at ninety, ninety-one right now. He he got up a little bit more this past year, so it was he was able to get it more up to the twos and threes. But he was also in short spurts. So I would say if you had him in 
you know, 75, 80 pitch stretches. He's probably closer to 90, 91, but in two and two thirds, three, four inning spurts, he was 92, 93. Got you. Um, he was dealing with a shoulder issue though. Mm-hmm. I think this year is going to be big for him. It'll be his first chance off the complex and it'll be his, you know, first chance to prove that he is fully healthy over the course of a full season. Jared, meanwhile, is fascinating to me. He is a small guy, much like his cousin Luis, but man, he packs more of a punch than I was expecting when I did the little dive on him. Mm-hmm. 19 homers right. from a guy that's 5'6 and a $10,000 IFA signing. I couldn't believe that number. It's it's pretty shocking. And what's pretty wild about it is, is he'll kind of do it to all fields. Um, he's snuck some balls out the other way. Um, he, he'll go pull side, and that's where the pop is like, Really sneaky, but 102.5 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velocity from a 5'7 guy is, you know, pretty impressive. The the thing that I think is even more impressive, do you know how many games this cat played last year? A ton. In 2023, because if you include every level and then the winter league, 193. Dude. Because he was going off in what was it, the Mexican league? I think so, the Mexican winter league. Do you, do you, can you get those numbers real quick? Yes. I um, can. I, if I'm not mistaken, well, and, and the Mexican Winter League is like a, a, it, it's a grind. So he played a lot of games, but he played a full season, took about a month off, you know, finishing Hudson Valley High A, where he was batting at the top of the order, put up good numbers. And then he goes straight to, and we talked about him when I did the, the Winter League update, just kind of checking in on different players. And yeah. Saren has played left. He's played second. He's played short. Um, and and he's looked pretty comfortable in all these spots. I think they, the, the Yankees have a, a fun little utility piece here with enough pop to, to carve out a, a potential role. Yeah, and I will say that the Mexican Winter League does offer a lot of hitter-friendly environments because you do have a lot that are somewhat like up in the mountains, mm-hmm. up in the hills, up in the mountains. So you do sure. play a little bit at altitude. But Jared Cerna, more than eight years younger than the league average hitter. Played 61 games in the Mexican Winter League this winter, and he slashed 310, 365, 478, 14 doubles, seven homers, 13 bags in 61 games. He was legit, man. It's impressive. I would say he was one of those guys that was right there in in the top 15. Just uh, I, I, I honestly just don't know enough about how the glove translates in terms of the value there. I just have not been able to yeah. see enough defensively. Um, but it's a guy that I think could jump into the top 15 i'll make the case for you know a couple of the the other guys that that just edged him out in that regard yeah brock selvage the next guy that i want to talk about lefty if you were to hop on mlb this show and you create a player that that looks like the prototype pitcher it's probably him he's six three he's about 210 he's muscular but like lean at the same time it took over slot money to get him away from lsu but high school lefty younger guy Really impressive in high A, a low threes ERA so far in his first 174 innings. The stuff itself does not jump off the page, I don't think. And you can Mm kind of add to that. But it's success at level after level. He'll probably open 2024 in Somerset in the rotation as I want to say an older 21 or a younger 22. And this can be the year that elevates him as a prospect or kind of drops him into the organizational depth bucket. Yeah, he's an interesting one because I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and he'll be 21 up until uh, the end of August. So really, you know, 
it's still very, very young, I would say, compared to you know some of the other guys that I think you'd be looking at in this range. And, and you know, it's more of a pitchability over over stuff guy. But, um, yeah, I just nothing jumps off the page. And that's kind of the, the big thing for me is like I'm, I'm worried that there's one of those guys that does well off of just pounding the zone with a few different pitches and mixing his looks and sequencing well. And then you get to double A and it's like, ooh, this is a little bit tougher. Um, and, and maybe he's not getting the same amount of whiff and things like that, but maybe he does. And, and the slider's a, a really good pitch. He landed it for a strike 72% of the time. Uh, so that's a pitch he can lean on pretty pretty well and lean on it pretty hard. But um, yeah, I think he's he's in for a, a much stiffer challenge at double, yeah. and I wouldn't be surprised if he if he does high A again. Uh, but we'll we'll kind of see how they how they handle that. Yeah. Next one is Rock Riggio, who was taking the early rounds out of Oklahoma State. He was a very productive hitter in the Big 12. Problem is, there's not too much to dream on with Riggio, mm-hmm. which is why he wasn't even in consideration for a first or second round selection. Yeah, he hit 335. Yeah, he had an OPS, I think over 1,100. He had 18 homers, but he's a 5'9 second baseman that really doesn't have the ability to play shortstop, it seems, and he's not going to swipe backs. So he is a bat first, second baseman mm-hmm. that isn't going to hit you 30 homers. So it, it all is on the bat, and the bat is probably not top 15 good for a college hitter. Probably not unless he just is one of those guys that just keeps hitting and keeps hitting and keeps hitting. And those, you know, you let those guys prove you're wrong. I think he could be, you could carve out a big league role, but. And, and the approach being good helps. And uh, there's enough juice potentially there. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Like the, if the hit tool was was proficient, then maybe you could dream on that a little bit more. But you're kind of trying to you're trying to identify where he's going to to stand out. And and it's kind of hard to, to find that at this point. Yeah, it might be 50s across the board, that kind of thing. Or maybe, you know, 45, 50. Across That's the problem. The it might be like 40s, 45s across the board, which exactly. could get you a big league role, but not a consistent one. I found this guy fascinating Carlos Lagrange did you find any yeah. data on him I did and and it's funny I see people really liking him because he's he along with another guy that we're going to talk about and Henry Lane um, are both extremely tall <laughs> like six foot seven six foot eight um, and you know throw more strikes than you'd expect but I think the data on Lagrange is a, is a lot uh, more subdued than okay. than a Lane but he's the definitely production- fascinating the, the production's been great. He's built like Slenderman. He's 6'7". He's a lank machine. I think his listed weight is under 200 pounds. And and just watching like the grainy video that I could find on Carlos Lagrange, I was like, you're it's Kevin Durant, man. Like arms never end, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And it, it's 106 punch outs in 74 and two thirds. Opponents are hitting a buck 66 against him. He's throwing in the high 90s, flirting with 100 at the complex. Yep. What happens when you go see a 22-year-old hitter for the first time? TBD. Yeah. So I think people were in again, like, you know, you're not going to get access to like some of the, the nitty gritty that, that maybe explains why it might not translate the same way. But I, I think you look at the velocity, that's exciting. But then you look at the pitch shapes and things like that. And you talk about how long he is. I think he really struggles to, to generate carry. And, and, and when you're have those longer limbs and, and kind of just have that ball, just, tail out of your hand a little bit the way that it does with him he's got a dead zone fastball and and i think that's a little bit concerning because he doesn't get much extension either I, th- to be that tall and he gets extension of five one is is pretty scary so you have five one extension you have dead zone it's like 17 and 16 on the fastball in terms of like 
horizontal and vertical movement. Um, but the thing is, is like the Yankees have been so good with with pitching development. And we talk about trends. The trend that I've seen with the Yankees, and we'll get into this a little bit more, is they draft these guys. And I know LaGrange wasn't wasn't a draft pick, but or sign these guys. And a lot of times before they even assign them, if they're not like a day one dude or, or a yeah. $4 million IFA guy, before they even assign them to an affiliate, they put them in their like uh, in their pitching program. Basically, yeah. it's like this very catered to specific handful of arms that they feel like they can unlock stuff with. I, there's not much detail on uh, you know what they do or how they go about it. I assume it's adjacent to many of the pitching labs that you see here and there. Um, and they help these guys optimize their arsenal, optimize their delivery, and and find what works best for them. And I'll tell you what, the Yankees have done an absolutely phenomenal job of that of late. I don't think LaGrange was a part of that program. He could end up being. Usually they do it before they make their pro debut, and it's usually with college guys. But that's how they've turned sixth round, seventh round, fourth round, whatever, all these different guys into legitimate, legitimate arms. Even a Drew Thorpe, like they got a lot more out of him. He yeah. He had a much more complete arsenal instead of just – it look, it's looking more like Gavin Stone. It's looking more like, oh, he can throw a breaking ball now. The fastball is better. They did the same thing with Will Warren. They did the same thing with Chase Hampton. They're doing the same thing right now with with another arm that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, so it might not be that exact program, but you hit on the things that you can't teach with LaGrange. And, you know, I wonder if they can help him with some of the things you can teach to, to get a little bit more out of his his stuff, because it, the stuff you can't teach is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, we're going to get into some proximity guys now. Tyler Hardman, double-A third baseman, corner infielder. Like, he might be a first baseman, too. He's 25 years old. He killed in double-A. Um, he killed at Alabama or at Oklahoma, pardon. Um, Gentry was Alabama. Hardman was yeah. Oklahoma. I'm confusing my Tylers. But 6'2", 230. He's built like a fire hydrant at 6'2". Punches out 33% of the time, but he hits the ball to the stratosphere. So yeah. it's the power. It's all it's fields. Like, hey, yeah, so it's like, are you going to hit enough homers to make a major league debut? I think he can, especially in, in, in New York. Like, I think he could be that bench power bat, um, you know, maybe a, a lefty masher. He had a thousand OPS against lefties. And a, a little teaser, we're going to be talking a lot more about uh, the kind of the way that we're going to define future value. Um, and yeah. we're working on that. Uh, I think that'll be something that we include in the in the top 100 update. But future roles is something that we want to talk about. And, you know, Hardman probably doesn't have a path to an, to an everyday spot uh, just because I don't think he's going to hit enough. But right. what he does to lefties and his all fields power and hitting the ball in the air, like you can identify a future role as like a short platoon guy in a bench bat, which is, you know, that's a that's a, a role. And that's a guy that's a prospect of note and someone that you should be, you know, following. So it, it, it's going to be fun to start to, to place these guys into roles that you can see better. But with Hardman, it's short platoon, demolish lefties, power to all fields, power bat off the bench. And, and I think that's something that he can hit enough to be. Uh, the other thing is it's that opposite field power. Like he miss hits balls and you, you see like Aaron judge do that classic inside out swing and it just gets over the short porch and right. He's not judge of course, but Hardman's going to be able to steal some home runs that way too and miss hit balls that get out. So I think that can really help him um, potentially carve out a big league role if he can hit enough. Yeah. If you checked out of the Yankee situation to the big league level, you know, in September, you may have missed Yoendris Gomez's major league debut. It was good. It was two innings, one hit punched out four, didn't walk anybody. Um, he was striking out a good bit of hitters, 78 and 65 and a third. Opponents hit 200 against him. In Somerset, he has yet to log an inning in Scranton. I assume that Gomez, who has missed a bunch of time, it was COVID, then shoulder issues, and a torn UCL. 
He's 24 years old. He's been in the Yankee system since 2016 as a $50,000 IFA guy. It's been like an uphill climb for him, Mm -hmm. but he seems so Johnny Brito as the guy that like is an outgetter in Scranton. And when shit hits the fan, Boone's going to make a call to Scranton and be like, give me you, Andres Gomez. And and I think he's, he's a quality swingman option. Potentially this is a guy that can do exactly what he did, you know, in that, in, in that game that you just mentioned, like, Come in, give you two really good innings. He could be an opener. He could probably stretch it to three or four if he's really cruising. Fastball is sneaky good. It averages 94 with some decent shape. He's got a cutter that works off really well. And then he mixes in a slider and a curveball that can blend sometimes. But again, there's just multiple pitches and then a change up here and there. So he can just kind of throw the kitchen sink at you and, and I think can give you quality innings and uh, even just be able to lean on the fastball and cutter pretty heavily and, and slider uh, just to, to – go a couple innings so this is a guy that will see at the big leagues i think when they need someone to plug and play and he's definitely a 40-man arm um a couple more guys is kiner delgado the 16th best prospect in this system yeah i, I mean i like delgado a lot and i think the thing is is now cerna's kind of right on his right on his butt because i think they're, they're pretty similar and my concern with delgado is i love his swing when he's on a fastball like it's short, compact. He's quick to the ball. It looks great. And then he gets a change up or, or just a, a slower breaking ball and everything breaks down. And that's like, I have not seen, of course there's hitters that have struggles with breaking balls. A lot of them, most, most don't hit them well anyways, but it's one of the more dramatic, like dichotomies of swings where you see what, what he does to a fastball and how on time he is. And then it's funny. I was watching ABs and then I was like, I, I really hope the data doesn't look as bad as like what, what it looks like, you know, in terms of what I'm seeing. And, and it, and it, it was, it was like that dramatic. He had over 400 against four seam fastballs this past year, but against changeups, like just, just brutal um, below 200, a lot of in zone whiff, similar struggles with breaking balls. I mean, if you look at what he did on sliders and curve balls hit below a hundred, he was two for 33 against breaking balls. So, it's tough because he's a switch hitter. He's athletic. I demolish his fastballs and you can make a living that way, but you can't be atrocious against breaking balls. Just turned 20, plenty of time. He was definitely right there though in the 16, 17 range. So the thing about the thing about like where he's played the DSL in the complex, those pitchers are not good enough to land three breaking balls. So he will get a fastball and he's going to kill 102 games between the DSL and the complex Slashing 301, 459, 495. 102 games. He's walked 94 times. He's punched out 59 times. He's got 11 homers, 70 stolen bases. So the production was just absurd. And it makes a lot of sense because he knows he's going to get a fastball over the course of an AB. And he's just not going to miss that pitch. He hits 400 against them. And you you bring up an excellent point. You're not going to see splits like this at at the higher levels where he saw four-seam fastballs. 53% 53% of the time you yeah. throw in another 9% or 10% of sinkers. He only saw breaking balls 20% of the time. Right. And that's just because like you said, these guys are mostly just trying to learn their mechanics and, and fire fastballs into the zone. So, uh, you know, he's just able to feast on those guys. And I think in low a, it, it could look a little different. Yeah. Uh, and then two guys that I, I think like could get a big league opportunity this year. It's health dependent with Brendan Beck, but we're going to talk about Clayton beater first. I think Beater is going to slot into that bullpen in 2024. Mm-hmm. AAA, Beater came back in the Gallo deal at the 2022 deadline. 
I didn't like Beater when he was a Dodger prospect. I don't think you liked Beater that much when he was a Dodger prospect. I only saw him in limited spurts because, hey, that's what the Dodgers do. Like when I saw Bobby Miller, it was an inning and two thirds, yes. like three times in a week. It was just bizarre. That's what they were doing with Beater. And while Miller was dominant and they had a couple other guys like Landon Knack was dominant in those stretches. Beater was like, oh, there's the fourth walk of the inning. Mm-hmm. He gets over to the Yankees at the end of 22. He is amazing at the end of 22. And we're like, wow, this guy might be a starting pitcher for the Yankees. 2023 rolls around, punches out 30% of hitters, but he walks damn near 15% of hitters. Yeah. So yeah, it seems like he's trending more towards that reliever role. And he's 25 years old already. It might just be time to do it. Yeah, you know, and, and the bullpen's already really good, but I'm with you. Like, I, I think that's probably the role for him. A guy that, again, you can put in spots and stretch out and, and in an emergency, he can, you know, come in cleanup duty, but also I think has the stuff to pitch in, in higher leverage. The fastball shape is really good and it's, you know, 93, 94. And then the slider's disgusting. And that's the pitch that just really puts hitters in a blender. And those two pitches alone will make him a, a good seventh inning guy that you could potentially stretch out, you know, for, for several innings or, or be that, you know, Yo Andres Gomez type opener as well. And, um, you know, those guys are useful. Yeah. Last name to watch is Brendan Beck, right-hander. You may remember Beck from being the Friday guy at Stanford for a couple of years. Um, TJ in 2021, after he was taken in the second round, um, came back, made his pro debut in 23. He struck out a bunch hardly walked anybody in high a he's 25 um he's got a four pitch mix though like he is your classic boring four pitch mix can throw all of them 25 percent of the time and can make a spot start in the big leagues i feel like as soon as this year yeah sneaky data too like he's just a guy that is always going to outperform the the what you see on the surface right it's low 90s fastball you mentioned the four pitch mix but commands them all really well and all were pretty effective for him this past season i He's been bad. Yeah, you mentioned kind of banged up battle injuries. Like if he's healthy this year, I'm really interested. I think he could climb very, very quick. And very. he was a guy that could have been considered for, you know, the first round pick at certain points, but you know, a little bit older for his class, not quite the, the dominance that stretches that we were hoping for, but the talent's there. And I know, you know, it's a guy that you've liked for a while dating all the way back to Stanford. Yeah. We're going to get into the top 15, which starts with Yorbit Vivas. But before that, a quick break. What's spring like in Park City, Utah? Imagine waking up on a bluebird day to ski the greatest snow on earth at two world-class resorts, Park City Mountain and Deer Valley. Exploring miles of wide open spaces by snowshoe or cross-country skis. Wandering our historic Main Street with its opera ski scene and award-winning restaurants. When you love it like we love it, Park City, Utah will always be winter's favorite town. Join the experience at visitparkcity.com. All right, number 15, and the guy who just kind of edges out a couple other players who are a very similar profile. Do the Yankees have a type? Do they have a thing yes. for yes. short second basemen who you know don't really hit the ball that hard, but a little bit harder than you thought? Because that's exactly what Yorba Vivas is. And uh, you know, they go get Vivas because they felt like they had an opportunity to upgrade in a vacuum with the Dodgers um, facing a 40-man crunch. And yeah. Vivas already on the 40-man roster and them kind of looking to to open a spot to be able to sign Shohei. So they dump Vivas. They get Trey Sweeney. Uh, so Sweeney goes to, to Los Angeles. 
we talked about it. I actually think Sweeney's the more intriguing prospect long term just because he's a little bit more dynamic, uh, can stick on the left side of the infield, has more power. Of course, Vivas is, is a better hitter, but you know they're both patient. And I'm just going to go with the upside. That said, Vivas is still a solid prospect. Uh, he, great bat to ball skills. Very patient. He's going to walk. And I think that's what really already carves out this this bench, uh, you know, platoon, uh, just solid utility type role. But the problem is he can't really play that many other positions. So it's like, do you start giving him some action in the outfield? Uh, Where does he fit in? That said, it's all about the bat. It's a sweet swing from the left side. He makes a ton of contact, uh, 80% overall, 90% almost zone contact and extremely patient. Uh, so you, you feel like that guy's going to be able to contribute at least some way at the big league level. And I think he could be a nice role player. It's crazy what a difference two years makes because at this point, I mean, shit, man, maybe even entering 2022. Uh, yeah, that would be two years ago. We were talking about Jorbit Vivas and Eddie Slayanard both being options for the Dodgers long term in the middle infield. Now they're both out of the Dodgers' thoughts, out of sight, out of mind. Mm-hmm. Leonard was, I think, like DFA had his contract purchased yep. by Detroit at the deadline. Yep. The, w- what's fascinating to me is like, while those guys were both, it's a, it's a trash to treasure type thing. While those guys were both surplus and unnecessary for the Dodgers, they both have paths to the big leagues in their respective orgs. Now Leonard like has a shot to be a tiger at a camp this year. And Vivas, I mean, dude, Glaber Torres gets hurt. He's the guy that's going to yep. go up and play second base. And that's the thing. And if you look at the Yankees situation, um, Vivas is more big league ready than Sweeney. Sweeney needs another year and change. And and it might not even all, he might not even get to the point where his offensive abilities translate to the big league level the way Vivas does. But with Vivas's patience, I think you make a great point in the field to hit and he loves to pull and he like, he's got sneaky power to the pull side, which of course is going to play well in, in Yankee stadium. And I think they identified him as like just a good fit where you feel like if you do have to plug him in, he could have a nice hot so little stretch there and, yeah, and, and put up some good numbers. And and look, he can steal 15, 20 bags. He can play yeah. good defense at second. He can hit and he can walk. He could be an average regular there um, if it all comes together, which is super intriguing. So I think Sweeney has higher upside. And whenever I'm kind of swapping it, these types of prospects in the 15 range of your system, I'd rather have a guy that has a better chance to, to hit homers and stay on the left side of the infield. But if the Yankees are looking at, hey, Glaber's going to be a free agent and we need a, a guy that's, you look at the the kind of depth chart here, another guy that can really be there and, and can help uh, immediately if something happens. You know, Vivas is definitely a more immediate help for them and also could be trade bait the other way at a certain point, too. Sure. Number 14, definitely a name that I know you, you probably read for the first time in this one, because <laughs> honestly, for me, he was a player that I didn't have much on at all. And then the more I dove into, the more intrigued I was. Edgeline Perez, catcher at the complex. Uh, in the DSL this past year, like to tend to be a little bit hesitant with these types of prospects, but I talk about future roles and stuff like that. I feel very confident that Edgeline Perez is at least going to be a backup catcher at the big league level. And that's really hard to say and, and really rare to be able to say about a guy that's only played in at, at the rookie levels, but the defense is, is that good? Extremely advanced receiving um, the way that he's able to get out of the one leg position um, and, and, and block already extremely impressive, well above average borderline plus arm. And then you look at the bat uh, above average field to hit for his age, plenty of contact, extremely young, still 17 years old. Um, enough impact there where I think he could be 
and, and you know, fringy power, maybe close to average. If it all works out, he could be an everyday catcher. I see a lot of similarities to Jose Trevino here, um, which is, you know, a nice piece for them. And obviously you're hoping that he can hit a little bit more than Trevino, but this is, this is a really solid player here that I couldn't even find how much they signed him for in international free agency. Fun little quirk, the DSL. So you know how a lot of teams or a lot of organizations will have two separate teams in the DSL. Mm -hmm. So you've got DSL Brewers one, DSL Brewers two. A lot of them are colors. DSL Guardians red, DSL Guardians blue, Orioles orange, Orioles black. You got the DSL Dodgers Bautista and the DSL Dodgers Mega. But the only one that actually changes names, I know. The only one that changes names is the DSL Yankees and the DSL Bombers. And Edgeline Perez was on the DSL Bombers this year. I, the Bombers sound good. It's the I, only thing I have to add on. Yeah, no, I, I love it. But yeah, I feel really good about a backup catcher role, especially with just at least the bat to ball skills. But I think there's a legit chance at, at everyday catcher, which it's a top 15 prospect, even if it's a guy that's really far off. And nope. dude, like the numbers look really good too. Yeah, it's the thing. Like, we, I, I always want to take them with a grain of salt, but then when you see those skills, and then you have the 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 solid numbers to back it, and and some sneaky, you know, good data. Again, I try to take everything with a grain of salt down there. You should see some of the called strikes I've seen. Um, <laughs> that it's I'm gonna I'm gonna put together one of these days, like a little like reel of some of the funniest uh, clips I've seen from the DSL. Um, and, and it's just, I want to get down there so bad. I, we've talked about winter league. I want to go down and just watch some DSL games. Uh, they sound electric. The, the, the dugouts are into it. Like when you were playing in little league, like shouting, having fun, uh, sometimes there's instruments being played in the crowd. Like it, it's just, it looks like a ton of fun. You and there's obviously a ton of talent on there. Yeah. You said you wanted to travel more this year, go down there for the summer league and then I'll go with you for the winter league in the winter. I'm down. I dude, I, Told you, I do want to travel more. That would be fun. Um, I'll, that's something that we'll keep the audience posted on too. Like we're looking into a bunch of different things that we're going to do this year to try to get some video access and you know try to show you guys what some of these areas are like. Uh, you know, whether it's on the minor league trip stateside or or elsewhere. But number thirteen, Kyle Carr, and here's a guy that I think is going to be the latest success story of the Yankees. Uh, instructional program that they do with their pitching prospects. Kyle Carr started at San Diego. And then transferred to Palomar Junior College in the, the kind of like the broad in between there. I believe it was he, he pitched in the Cape Cod League um, and was really solid there. But at Palomar gained a little bit of velocity. He was also a two way player there hit 500 at Palomar Junior College. Um, so super athletic pitcher, very wiry and skinny. So I think there's a little bit more room for for strength. I got to update the ETA there. Apologies. It's obviously not going to be this year. He hasn't even thrown a professional pitch yet. Uh, but I do think he's a guy that's going to climb quickly because it's a fastball with in the low 90s up to 95, 96 with 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 good shape. A slider that he commands well and a changeup that's already flashed, you know, at least average. Now that's before the Yankees really, I think, get to work with him. I'm very fascinated to see what he looks like now after this instructional program. Because again, I'm not going to just say, oh, he's in the instructional program, bump him up. I, You know how I feel about the, oh, he's a Dodger. Like, you know, he's going to be better now. Oh, he's a raised pitcher. He's going to be better now. You got to look at things more holistically than that. But he is the perfect candidate to be maximized with supreme athleticism on the mound, a good feel for three pitches, and projection physically. I will say he was good out on the Cape before yes. he transferred to a junior college. So um, pretty interesting. Yeah, and like that build just – 
on a roster sheet is very intriguing. I think there's a reason why he transferred to a junior college. Like you don't think from San Diego and a good performance on the Cape that he had plenty of power five schools knocking on his door saying, I mean, you know, come pitch here. Dude, we, we talked about it. We talked about it with what Torkelson, right? There were a bunch of people when I was out on the Cape after Torque's freshman year at Arizona state, he was killing on the Cape and they were like, why doesn't this kid just transfer to a junior college and get drafted a year earlier? Like he, he probably saw success out on the Cape against the country's best college hitters and said, you know what? Like time for me to get to pro ball. Yep. And here's the thing. Uh, it, it, some of these guys have a lot of fun just playing, you know, three years of ball and I get it. But if I'm a pitcher, it's a totally different beast. If I'm Spencer mm-hmm. Torkelson, sure, I'll play three years. It's Arizona State. He's probably having fun. It's it's yeah. warm. It's a good time. You get the rest of your life to, to be a, a professional. But if I'm a pitcher, I don't want to waste bullets for free. You know, like, I, I, and that's and that's probably where Kyle Carr was at, especially after seeing what he could do on the Cape. Um, talking to some people that were out there, they were very impressed by him. Um, and, and I think that athleticism is going to shine through. So look out for Kyle Carr this year. It's definitely a name in the system that I think could rise quickly and just kind of be that latest Yankee success story, third round pick in 23. Number 12, Ben Rice, the guy you specifically asked me about. And I was like, honestly, dude, I haven't watched enough Ben Rice to give you like a legitimate, legitimate thought other than I know he can swing it. Um, a funny wrinkle in this thing is I was watching Chase Hampton video and inadvertently like just was like, man, that catcher's kind of going through it right now. Like he's not, he's not, re- he's not receiving great. Um, yeah, he's, he was blocking all right, but oh man, that's his throw down to second, like yikes. Um, and I was like, oh wait, yep, that's Ben Rice. Uh, I'll start with the good. This guy put up numbers last year, didn't he? And he, he was banged up. Like he got a, 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 he missed a chunk of the season with an oblique injury. And then obliques ain't no joke. We know that. Uh, but he, he matched to a 1,048 OPS between high A and double A. And I think a majority of those games being in double A. It's a swing geared for pull and lift. 33% ground ball rate, 57% pull rate. I mean, that's oh, the pull side is a little bit, a little bit much. And he can get spinny especially left on left. Like, I don't think this is a guy that you're going to, you're going to put in against lefties um, and, and even just good changeups and stuff. He can get, he can get spinny, but then I'm watching, you know, his hot stretch and I'm watching this guy go the other way. Fastball's running away from him, shooting it the other way. He's capable of doing that. So that's super encouraging. Cause like, that's fine. I'm cool with you leveraging a strength and, and, and trying to, you know, go to pull side power. Cause you have above average raw power. You lift the ball in the air consistently, but when you're down in the counter, a guy's really working you away. Are you just going to yank it into the ground? And, and ground out the second, or can you shoot it the other way? And I saw Ben Rice shoot it the other way. And seeing the offensive abilities, there's a big league role here. Maybe a platoon role. Maybe he plays first base and there's an outside shot. He hits enough to carry that profile. I think that's probably ambitious. Um, but I do think there's there's a platoon role. Can catch a couple of days a week um, if, you, if you need him to. And then play first base. I don't know if he does that with the Yankees or not, but that's a role I could see him in, 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 with a big league team. Regardless, a 12th round pick out of Dartmouth, a great get for them. Uh, a guy that could be big league ready as, as soon as this year, but probably 25. The fact that they have Austin Wells already uh, right. you know, makes me kind of think Ben Rice could be the, the odd man out here. Um, but what hedges me, my concern with Rice in this long-winded breakdown was that he blocks really well. And huh. that, which is interesting, I think he had like one pass ball this past year. So he Damn. blocks really well. He just can't he handles, <laughs> he handles pitchers pretty well. He's not a great receiver, and he threw out 8% of base dealers. So 
if this is a guy that catches once or twice a week and then okay. plays first base or DHs, you can make that work, but he, he can't be catching every day. And that just puts a lot more pressure on the bat. But as you can see, like we got 50 hit, 55 raw power, maybe, maybe even 55 game, but at least 50 power. Yeah. Super patient. Like that's going to play. So he was almost a breakout in his age 24 season in high A. That's why I had so many questions about him because mm-hmm. he had like really never played before that. There was no full season of college ball at the D1 level. There was really like what largest sample that, that he had before he spent 68 games in Tampa in 2022 was with the Worcester Bravehearts in the FCBL in 2020 during <laughs> the COVID shutdown. I don't even know what the FCBL is. The Futures League, like. Dude, I've never tapped into the Futures League in my life. No. Um, I, I mean, there was so much unknown, and then all of a sudden, this guy's hitting 325, and he's doing that in double A, and he's hitting. Yeah, he didn't blink in double. Like, that was the thing. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, like let's see you do it in double, and you expect and him like, to take he a did. hit. He got better. Yeah, it, it was so weird to me, and I was like, 20 homers out of nowhere. This guy had like never hit homers before in his career. So I, I found, I found his 23 fascinating, which is why I had questions. And the swing's good. And like, again, if they didn't have Austin Wells already, and then the next guy that we're going to talk about, you know, I, I'd say, no, there's, there's a role here for him potentially. Yeah. I think what's going to happen here is he might get traded, you know, and, and I think that there's going to be some, some value to him because I, that bat is just good. Like you put him in the, in a couple other systems like the Nationals or the Marlins or um, you know, some of these other like offensive light systems, he's going to be one of their better upper level hitters. So you know there, there's a value to that, uh, and and it's going to be interesting to see how the Yankees go about this because when you get to number eleven, there's just a guy that's a similar profile with just a bit more upside, I think, and that brings us to to Augustine Ramirez. Um, Ramirez a little bit better defensively, I think. Also in a unique path, uh, signed as an international free agent for 400 K in 2019. Then you have the, the COVID season, you know, just wiped away. So then 21, he plays at the complex 22. I, again, I don't know the whole chronology here, but there's a weird component where he doesn't get off the complex until last year, right? Like last year was his first year off the complex, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And th- it's a late start. So like, okay, this guy's, you know, way too old for his level. And he just makes up for lost time by mashing through low A, putting up video game numbers in high A. Then gets promoted to double and understandably struggles, but like this is a guy that had not played above the complex prior. So I don't really care about double A struggles. He's still just going to be 22 years old this year. He hits the living crap out of the ball. 106.6 mile per hour, 90th percentile, and a max of 115. That's plus raw power. The thing is his swing is pretty steep. Like it's it's kind of down on the ball sometimes. And, and I think it kind of makes it hard for him to, to generate that lift and carry. So it's a lot of like hard pull side line drives, uh, almost like a softball hitter. You know, those those clips that you've seen where a guy just like swings down on it. And it's just like a backspun, like line shot. Yeah, so it's not like a consistent ground ball rate. Like it's not like a it's just a little bit steep. So it's almost like he's brushing the back of it a little bit. And yeah. I think that's why the, the game power is not totally translated. But anytime you're putting up those EVs, you're young. You haven't had that much experience. You put up good numbers in low A and high A. And you know the Yankees do a really good job of of getting guys to to adjust and 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 lift. And you look through the system; they don't really have a lot of guys with a ground ball problem. And, and I think that they can help Ramirez get right there. 
And then the thing with him is defensively just a little bit better, just a little bit better than Ben Rice. So more offensive upside, a little bit better defensively. I think if you ask the Yankees in 23, right before the season, do you think there's any chance you add Augustine Ramirez to the, to the 40 man? They probably said no shot. This guy's not played above the complex. Well, by the time the 2023 season's over, He's added to the 40 man to protect him from the rule five draft. So that should tell you where the Yankees, you know, are at with him. They obviously think he's, he's worth a spot. For sure. Just looking at the last month for double a Somerset, it seemed like Ramirez was the primary catcher. Rice was playing a bit more first base and then they would rice would spell Ramirez behind the dish and Ramirez would then play first base. So it, there's an easy way to do it. And I just, I just watched two top 100 prospects share catching duties for what, like two weeks or something. And it was Henry Davis playing right field. Having said that, um, this is a like catcher is the easiest position to have a timeshare at the minor leagues. If you have two prospects, you're intrigued. Yeah. Cause you don't even want those guys catching every day anyways. No. So like, a Tuesday night game, Augustine Ramirez, you're catching. Wednesday day game, Ben Rice, you're catching. Thursday, Friday, Ramirez, you're going to catch. Saturday, Rice catches. And then Sunday, you know, whoever's got to catch for the fourth time that day. like Or whoever's yeah. got to catch. Uh, if you want Ramirez catching a fourth time, if you want Rice catching a second time, go ahead and do it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and I'll tell you, dude, like when you got that kind of raw power, like there, there could be something. There could be something there. Like he could hit enough regardless. But Defense just a little bit better really helps the profile. And I think the, the usage in double A kind of tells you a little bit of, of, I think, where they sit with Ramirez versus Rice in the, in the catching situation, but very close to each other in terms of, of kind of where they're at value wise. But of course, I'm going to take the guy that's like three years younger, too, and hits the ball harder. Yeah. Number 10 was a tough, a tough pitcher to peg for me because you got to compare him to, you know, a guy that we're going to talk about in number nine, who's like six years younger than him. But Will Warren, as we get into the top 10 here, a really good pitching prospect. I think it's more of a case that the, the, the other nine guys are really good. The fact that Warren's at number 10, uh, you know, I think you'll see Warren a little bit higher on other lists. My problem with him is if the command was a little bit better, I, I think I could really comfortably project him as a, a four or five starter. Um, yeah. But I think he looks closer to a five starter and then, you know, could end up, you know, more in, in a swingman role, but the fastball is good. And, and, What's interesting with that is he added a four seamer to be able to buzz at the top of the zone, which is huge because he's he's a heavy, you know, ground ball kind of guy. Yeah. Slider going the other way is his best pitch. It's a plus pitch. Mixes in a cutter, that's an average pitch that, you know, I, I big league average, like definitely helps him more than I think the data would show. And then the problem is the changeup and the curveball are just just way behind. Uh, and when you look at the other three offerings, changeup did flash down the stretch and, and started to look like a better pitch and could be a, a decent offering for him. My concern with Warren is you got sinker, you've got a sweeper, which is what that slider really is. And then your changeup and curveball are not there. So how do you get lefties out? And that's going to be his problem, I think, at the highest level. And it was even his problem to a degree last year. If I'm not mistaken, I think righties hit. I think I had an OPS below 600 against him and lefties had an OPS right around 800. Uh, and that got higher and higher, you know, as you kind of sorted towards the end of the year. Uh, but if he can get righties out, he can still, you know, turn a lineup over once. Uh, I think he could be good enough to get lefties out. If that changeup can come along a little bit more and that cutter continues to be a useful pitch for him. And that four seamer works at the top of the zone, uh, but the splits and then the command kind of being, eh, you know, you'd expect a guy with this profile to have a little bit better command, but he walked 10, 11% of batters. I, I do think that the ABS probably played a part in that. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, I'd be more comfortable with this profile if it was 55 command and not 45. 
Right. So the the thing that I'm seeing right here, I'm just looking at the handedness splits, and I'm I'm going to stick exclusively to Scranton. I don't have the ability to combine Somerset and Scranton um, with me, but it, it's a comparable number of ABs actually between lefties and righties. He saw 197 ABs against righties, 176 against lefties. Lefties. Actually, no, I'll start with righties because that's a good one. 203, but with an OBP at 282 and that 581 OPS, like you're saying. Against lefties, 244, so not bad. Here's where the command comes in. A 350 OBP that bumps it to an 830 OPS. 15 homers allowed in Scranton, 11 of which to left-handed hitters. Oof, there you yeah, go. Like, he's just, he doesn't have a pitch other than the fastball, it seems, against lefties. And in Yankee Stadium, that's a little That's no concerning. good. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a recipe for disaster. And I'm not trying to pick him apart. He's a number 10 prospect. It's just like why he's a little bit lower for us maybe than than others um, yeah. is because of just trying to see how that's going to to work. And, and if you look at his last 10 starts against lefties, they had an in-zone contact rate at 88%. Yeah, like they're um, just sitting fastball and probably hammering it. And, and crushing them. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, even some of these outs like i'm looking at balls that are just absolutely pulverized so look i think he can be a really good piece one way or another because you know he's going to make righties uncomfortable um and he's going to you know be able to get those guys out and he can get by you know like he can he's not going to it's not like lefties up automatically pillage it's not that dramatic but you know if it's a lefty heavy lineup again a team really stacks lefties i don't want warren out there no so it's like that can't be a guy that's pitching every fifth day um so that's the trouble. So if he can come along with the change or the curve, that would help. Or it seems like he's more of that spot starter swing man. Um, I, I will say in a bullpen, that slider would probably play really well and the fastball would play really well. So like he's a big league arm that can probably you know, survive in, in, in a more demanding role of a starter. Like he, he'd be yeah. passable. Like he, he would get righties out enough to be really solid, I think still, and be a mid force guy and whatever. And he can eat innings. He's 129 innings consecutive years. Right. Um, which is important. So I do think he can be that ground ball innings eater. It get by, but to be closer to that four starter, he's got to get lefties out. So the durability and the batted ball profile makes me think that they will keep him in AAA to try and figure out how to get lefties out. Mm-hmm. So for the Yankee fans that were saying, oh, like, let's just pencil in Warren as the five. Don't do that yet because there's clearly something he needs to work on. But I do think the batted ball profile, the durability is is too good to relegate him to a bullpen role I already. Agree. Like, Peter, I, I think you can warrant that move to the pen. Warren, like, he's too good of a starting pitcher to warrant that move right now. I'm totally with you. And the changeup did look better down the stretch. And that's why I think I, I can comfortably like, I think there's still some risk, but I, I, I would, if I've had to put one grade, I, I think it's a five starter and I think he can do it um, at, at a decent level. Now into number nine. And this is a, just a classic prospect ranking situation here where you, you go from, you know, number five starter type 24, 25 year old to now a teenage arm who uh, could be anything from a middle rotation arm to, 
a disgusting high leverage piece. Henry Lillane, a, a player that's become very popular, I think, in, in the Yankee circles. And I think kind of everything that people were, were hoping Brock Selvage could look like, I think Lillane is obviously bigger and, and just more of a, an alien life form physically. But I think is is that lefty for them because the system's kind of been waiting for a, an impactful left-handed pitching prospect. And I think Lillane can be exactly that. Six foot seven, signed for just $10,000 in 2022. So another just good identification here. Um, he struck out 34 and walked four in 21 and two thirds innings at the Florida Complex League, which when you're talking about a six foot seven guy, that's pretty impressive. Um, the the fastball and just just the pitch data, a lot more intriguing. And he took a big step forward after the DSL, like low 90s, now sitting more 93, 94, touching 97 with some decent ride to it. Uh, the change up took a step forward last year and then the slider. He needs to tweak it. I think he needs to throw it harder. It's more like in the upper 70s, and it's a sweeper. And the sweepers just pretty much unanimously play better. Uh, it's just harder thrown pitches. So that's the pitch that needs to come along for him a little bit more. Um, and it was ahead of the changeup before. But the fastball could be borderline plus plus because of how athletic he is and, and how like the, the delivery is relatively low effort. And the command being as good as it is already is pretty remarkable. I think you could see number three starter upside here with Lillane uh, and feel pretty good about uh, his floor relative to most prospects with this profile, right? Like, I mean, how many six, seven lefties are you like, oh yeah, he fills the zone up pretty well. Like he's, he's, he doesn't seem like he has as much bullpen risk. Like that's, that's pretty rare. Yeah, I mean, you almost like never see this. Like, I, I was going to ask you, how does he not walk anybody? Because he's he's big, he's long. But then watching like the video that I did, it's like, oh, he just pitches like a big dude. It, it's not it's not overwhelmingly clean. Think a teensy bit longer of his schemes, and I'm not talking like pitch by pitch. I'm not talking data at all. I'm just talking you're a huge human, yet you throw like you're six two. So yeah. a, a six seven guy throwing like they're six two, but like just almost growing. It, it's it's like when it's you also known as athleticism. I, I, yeah. I think that's that's really what it is. It, it's athleticism, but it's also you've got one of those foam dinosaurs and you put it in the sink. You remember those when you were growing up yeah. and they got bigger. Yeah, like that's kind of what he looks like on the hill. Where it's not wow, I have no idea where my arms and legs are going. It's I'm throwing like a normal person. I just happen to be bigger than the normal person. And and that probably makes sense, which is why it is a 55 future on the command tool. And I mean, to already fill up the zone the way he is again, I, I think that slider needs to be tweaked a little bit, but the change up looking like it can potentially be a plus pitch. The fastball looking like it could be a plus pitch. And if that slider is above average from that six, seven release point, like filling up the zone. That's three starter stuff right there, at least. So a lot to dream on with the lane, just still very early. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to see what it's going to look like in low A this coming season, where uh, we, we assume he will he will be starting and see if they can stretch him out a little bit more. If he doesn't, it's criminal. Yeah. All right. Like, what else did he need to show at the complex? Right. Number eight, a guy that should probably split time at shortstop with the guy that we're going to talk about at number seven in, in a moment or number six. But uh, George Lombard Jr., uh, the first round pick this past year in 2023, went 26th overall, actually got a little bit more than the 26th overall selection value, which I think is a testament to the helium that Lombard enjoyed uh, going into the draft. The son of George Lombard, who was a, it was a big leaguer for, for several years. Uh, and, and definitely you can see the, 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 just the, the, the bloodlines and the way that, Lombard, like, you know, when you just see a high school kid and uh, obviously you're not just going to see him and be like, Oh, that's, that's a kid of a big leaguer. Uh, right. But 
once you hear that he's a kid of a big leaguer, you immediately are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, he looks like it. Um, Lombard is exactly that, especially as he started to mature more uh, physically towards the end of his his high school uh, career at Gulliver Prep, which is – yeah, I had to play against them at least once a year uh, back in high school, and and they were always loaded. They've they've turned out some some legitimate professional prospects over the last few years, uh, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, to be honest. Uh, just Miami hotbed. He stood out there and really impressed on the the summer circuit. Swings a little raw. Um, it, the, the the path needs to be cleaned up for sure. Uh, but he has a good feel to hit. He already has a good approach. He's six three. He can move well. He's a good shortstop. He's going to stick there. So you can dream on above average power, at least average hit, a good approach, going to stick at shortstop. That's a good player. <laughs> That's a player that I'm, I'm willing to uh, wait and see how it all kind of comes together. Once he cleans that path up, he, he could explode. So is, is his younger brother the kid that went like mega viral the other day? Yes. Yeah. And I, I think that's looks- like, it's, it's encouraging just to see that. Like there's, there's, there's something in the, uh, in, in the bloodlines there, uh, you know, a little bit more maybe than, than some other, you know, that we see stupid. Like it's not the holidays by any stretch, but no. he, I, I saw a video of his younger brother, Jacob Lombard, who might be the number one player. What in 2026, at least that's what youth so, prospect yeah. said. Um, youth prospects, by the way, has been doing a great job for years covering like the high school game and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, like I watched this and I was like, no 16 year olds legs should look like that. And George Lombard, it's kind of the same thing, man. He, he looks like a filled out pro already. It's clear that dad had both these kids on the track. As soon as they said, I want to be a major league baseball player. When I grow up, you bet on those guys all the time. And the fact that he hit the ground running at the complex, like makes you almost push your chips in even further. And it's like, yeah, this kid gets it. And he's going to match any level because he's been prepped on this since he was six years old, probably. Yeah. And and then the makeup being there, as you mentioned, like that's a big part of it. I think he's going to respond really well to, 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 you know, the the things that they're going to present him. And and I'm just looking at the template here and it's like, okay, this can really turn into something special with, with the build, with the frame, still projection already flashing some velos. And I, I like when I see guys get away with like inefficient paths, it's almost impressive to me. It's impressive until it's not right. But when you're young, one of the youngest players in your draft class and you're getting away with this inefficient path and in the complex and uh, you're like, Oh my gosh, well, what's it going to look like when he unlocks it? It's going to be like the clarity and clear commercials, right? Where it's like, Whoa, it, it can look even better than this. It can feel even better than this. Like, I think that's, what's going to happen with him. And I was really impressed by the defensive ability as well. And, and, and that really separated him. He's going to be 18 years old still at the start of the 24 season. So extremely young, which which really I think was a big reason why the Yankees were excited. I think they felt like they were buying a stock as it was still going upwards. And that's why they shelled out 300K over slots to get him. Right. Number seven, they shelled out a lot of money for this guy. Brando Maia, uh, classic, like limited looks. we got to be honest, but with looks that we've seen, it it could be really fun. Uh, and it's always nice when you, you get the – you know, the, the, the Ben bad or scouting report or, or, yeah. you know, whatever you're able to see from pipeline before these guys even have a professional at bat, you know, I always want to just see what, you know, others in the industry are saying that have maybe been out there and seen them, or at least have talked to the scouts who have signed them. And then a lot of times it, you don't really end up seeing what, what you heard. Um, and, and front, so 
like the scout from the scouts on, on some of the guys. Cause everyone wants, every scout wants to say, Oh yeah, I signed that guy. Um, and, and that's why he turned into a star. Like I, you know, I've, I've heard a lot, several different scouts claim to have responsibility for several different signings, several of the same signings. Um, yeah. So like sometimes scouts are going to be ambitious with the projections. And we saw that with Dominguez, of course, um, and, and things like that. Um, and with Maya, you know, I kind of took it with a grain of salt because I'm like, okay, yeah, here's another Yankee spend $4.35 million. Um, you know, these reports might be a little overly bullish. Um, of course, that's always projecting the ceiling and what it can all look like. And when a team shows out $4.35 million, they're going to tell you that the, the, the high end outcome. But with Maya, he was one of those guys where I just kind of immediately saw what the the belief was. Like you immediately saw what they were investing in and hoping that he could turn into. Um, and, and I think there's a good chance he can turn into that, which is above average hit. Maybe plus plus run times. I, I, I was clocking him at plus, but I've seen people out there say plus plus average power and the ability to stick in center field. That's a, that's a four, one player. If it all comes together, right? The four five, one player. Um, and, and what stands out to me is it's a unique setup. He, he gets into his load really early with a hover and his foot really hovers. Like it, he holds it up there for a minute, which is an extremely difficult move. You gotta be really athletic to do it. It's, it's almost like the Jung Hoo Lee. I know mm-hmm. Jung Lee, like he, he, kind of has a toe tap and it's up but it's basically a hover in the same way where it's like how do you hold your back hip that long you got to be a really good athlete maya does that it allows him to be ready for fastballs and he demolishes velocity hits fastballs really well he's hit breaking balls well enough but i've seen him also like just not be able to hold it think about when your front legs in the air and you're a little bit fooled by a breaking ball you're gonna feel that forward move even harder than maybe a guy who's like foot down back and you're able to kind of kind of fight that forward move a bit more. So I, I saw a little bit of that premature forward move, uh, maybe, maybe struggling with that. So I'm interested to see if he can get away with that hover against more challenging breaking balls and be able to recognize them the same way. But that's kind of a later problem. And right now he crushes fastballs. He's competitive enough against breaking balls. He has a good approach, which seems to be the consistency thing, like the consistent thing here with the Yankees. Like they do not seem to, to really entertain guys that are super expansive um, yeah. and he can stick in center and he can run and he put up really good numbers at the complex. Yeah. I, everybody's looking for the next Chorio and like, you're willing to pay $4 million for that. Um, he lacks the explosion, the top end explosion that Chorio has like Chorio. He's what a 75 grade runner, 70. Yeah. I, I think I put 75 just because I was like, so like, 80 is really tough to, to just give out, but yeah. some of the times I've clocked him on are pretty much 80 times. I just, I need to do it a few more times, um, right. but it's at 70 to borderline 80. Everybody's looking for that great runner. That's going to play center field. And like it has the maturity to climb quickly. That's the thing. It wasn't 480 foot homers that made Chorio climb quickly. It was, he looked comfortable at every stop and that's why he climbs quickly. That's how you find the top 30 prospects in baseball before they turn 20 years old. And yep. if this guy stays comfortable and based on what you're saying, it seems like he could stay comfortable. He's one of those guys that at the end of this year, we may be talking about in the top 70 prospects in baseball. hundred percent. And I think that's a great point that you bring up. Like, yes, you're looking for players that are ultimately going to become great players down the line. And you want them to be Yankees and stars for you or whatever organization, but right. You're also looking for guys that are going to improve their stock quickly. And when you perform, you know, right away and, and you're ahead of your years and show some of those tools, you become a Samuel Basayo, you become a, a top, top dog. Right. And so even when you look at like a Jackson holiday, right? Like his ceiling right. 
I personally, and we'll talk about it when we get to the top 100 stuff. Like, but holiday ceiling is not the same as I think Junior Caminero's because Junior Caminero, I think, can hit 40 something home runs and maybe even more than that and, and, you know, still hit for a decent average. But holiday is so ahead of his years and the floor is so damn high and the ceiling is still really solid that he's considered the number one, you know, prospect or number two prospect in baseball. Like that's a component to it. And, you know, you're not trading those types, but, if you're always looking for most valuable assets and, and kind of treating it like uh, basically trying to maximize all of your assets, like guys that climb quickly and, and, you know, perform well are generally going to to jump up those lists and, and carry a lot of value. Even if, you know, it might not at the end of the day, translate the way that you hope at the big league level, because prospects are at the end of the day are still relatively a crapshoot. This is as advanced as they come for this type of, of player. You know, like when you still yeah. want to have upside and you're trying to find an all-star for $4 million to be this advanced also is, is hard to find. So I'm going to, I'm going to throw it back actually a decade. Cause I was just talking with somebody about Jerickson Profar the other day and Profar was the number one prospect in baseball. Like Jerickson Profar, go look at his numbers. He did not OPS 1100. <laughs> he was never that good of a statistical producer in the minor mm-hmm. leagues. The thing that separated Jerks and Profar from everybody else, which is what made him the top prospect in baseball, is this guy at 19 years old, like, yeah, he hit 280. Yeah, he had 14 home runs in, in AA, but he didn't steal 40 bags. He had a 370 OBP. Like, he was patient. He was smooth. He was comfortable at 19 years old. That's why he was the number one prospect in the game. It's not because he went 30-30. Yep. And I'm so excited to to this is just teasing the the future roles thing that we're going to talk about uh, in the coming weeks about uh, the new way that we're going to kind of look at these these future value discussions because it's a perfect example as well. Um, and and it kind of leads us into number six, who for me I was a little bit more hesitant on in Roderick Arias it, before this this past season, another four million dollar international free agent in 2022, switching shortstop tooled up. But all I'm hearing about is tools, 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 tools. Everyone's saying what it could be. It could be 60s you know, across the board and, and blah, blah, blah. And like, yeah, you can see a lot to like. But I also yeah. saw a swing that was chaotic and that could result in a lot of whiff and a guy that looked late pretty often. And then he came back in 23 this past year and before going down with an injury, looked really solid. I still think that there's some concerns with it. I still think the, the hit tool is going to be fringy, but he showed remarkable patience he the left-handed swing is way ahead of the right-handed swing and was able to get into some impressive power crush some balls pull side there's a home run off of Alec Manoa that is a a nuke to center field Uh, but you know I I think what really made me feel more comfortable with him was seeing what he can do on the defensive side Um, plus plus arm moves well the one thing that he does is he sits back a little too long, as so many young shortstops do that have rockets yeah. for arms because they can get away with it. I don't think it's an it's an issue. Like he's he's going to get better with that, and I think the defense is going to be even more impressive. But when you have a guy that could be a plus defensive shortstop as a switch hitter with plus power, even if the hit tool is fringy, that's a that's again that's a that's a four five player if if he can hit enough, and a fringy hit tool with with high walk rate would be hitting enough for that profile. Yeah, I I don't know much about him, obviously, because it's been at the complex. But based on what you're saying, it's like it's the mature thing again. Um, the defense is what fascinates me because they seem to have stockpiled a lot of these guys that can stay at short, but you can only employ one of them. And yep. 
if things going if things go according to plan with Volpe, like he's there for the next twenty years. You know what I mean? Yep. It's there, there's something about the Yankees. If we were talking about a mid market, you know, small market team. Volpe's gone in five years. Arias is up in three. You know, there's there's two years of waiting, but then the job's his. If things yeah. go right with Volpe, or if things seem to go right with Peraza this year, like, hey man, you know, we're running out of time for Arias because they're just going to pay him for 15 years. Um, yeah, I, well, I find him to be fascinating, and I think that this guy could be just forecasting like way down the line. Next year, year after, if the Yankees want to make a crazy deadline move, this could be that type of Glaber Torres type player. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and what I think is interesting is he could play third at an extremely high level. Right. And then at that point, like if you really like Arias and you just want him to be a part of your future, he, he can carry the offensive profile at third. Uh, he could probably play a plus plus third base or at least a plus third base. And that could be that could be where he slots in. And now your left side of the infield is really good uh, and young and controllable and fun. So I think that's an area where they could uh, end up, you know, kind of sliding areas over if if Fulpe ends up kind of being everything that we expect him to be. Um, just kind of getting into the swing real quick is like mm-hmm. when everything's on time, it's beautiful. Um, and he gets his A swing off and he crushes it. But he features a huge leg kick that almost has like a second movement when his leg is in the air. Like it's his foot. You could almost see the bottom of his cleat. So it's like a, a leg kick and a, like a foot like kick out almost. <laughs> and and I think those moves are a lot. And I saw swings where he just looks incredibly rushed. But then when it's on time, you're like, oh, my goodness, that looks really smooth. And the, the, the path is good. Everything else looks really clean. So I'd wonder if they try to just calm him down a little bit, simplify things. And the bat speed's already impressive. The pull side power is already impressive. There's more room in the frame. I think you can have plus power, plus defense on the left side as a switch hitter with above average run, walks a ton. That That's a guy that could be a really good player at the highest level. So he's a guy that could go one way or another, though, depending on how much he strikes out in low way. And ultimately, the hit tool is still the question. And that could be the thing that holds him back. We're going to get into the top five in just a moment here. Before that, one more quick break. All right, number five. And we get into, uh, this is kind of the proximity range, right? We got a lot of guys here that either have gotten a taste of the big leagues or are about to. Austin Wells has gotten a taste of the big leagues, and it was a pretty impressive taste, to be honest. Um, I like what I saw from him. He's a guy I've been a little bit, you know, like wishy-washy on. I've always liked the bat. I was kind of wondered how the glove's gonna gonna play. Is the back gonna be good enough to carry the profile if the glove isn't good enough at catcher? Here's the thing: he got the glove to the point where I think he can be a passable catcher. Um, he's gonna need to figure out how to limit the run game a little bit better. But at the end of the day, like not too many guys out there limiting the run game that well right now. Um, and he has gotten better with it. Uh, when you look at the 18 game sample overall, graded out fine because he. he made huge strides in the receiving department and that's where he's able to compensate. So if you can be a good receiver, you can get away with, you know, giving away strikes at the end of the day, or sorry, giving away bases at the end of the day, a lot of these organizations, they would rather steal a strike and give up the 90 feet. And that was before the new rules. So uh, that's why they always have these guys in the one leg position. So I think from that lens, like he could get away with it and be an everyday catcher. Um, and, and what what really helps too is like even if he is a fringy defensive catcher, he's going to have to hit a little bit more than you know the average catcher. Not that hard to do. Um, it's a little bit harder nowadays because we we've seen this new wave of really talented catchers. But I think Wells can be a really good offensive piece because he has an average field to hit. 
It's a sweet swing from the left side. It's above average power that he consistently taps into in games. So it's above average game power as well. And he's got a decent approach. He's walked. It's been great in the past. He is the first year where his chase rate went up a little bit, but collegiately walked more than he struck out. Lower levels walked a ton up until this past year. Yeah, I think it was a little bit more aggressive, but he, he produced. And then he made a slight adjustment with his hand load at the big league level over his final 10 games and went nuclear there. I think it allowed him to kind of get the bat in the zone and, and keep it through the zone longer. And all of a sudden, you know, you end up getting a guy here that looks like he can really swing it um, and can, can be a nice piece for them. And I think he's probably going to take the bulk of the duties behind the dish this coming season. I'm interested to see how the Yankees split it up, but I think Wells yeah, impressed with, with what he did in those, in that short stint. And I think is, is ready to take on an everyday role. I would assume he's the opening day catcher. I would think so. Yeah, I don't know. They might. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Wells, I, I, could see, I could see Trevino be like like Garrett Cole being like, I only throw to him. Yeah, I, that's my thing. But like, hey, start two rolls around and it's Rodon. Like, I think it's Rodon throwing to Wells, and they're going to print the shirts at some point, and it's going to be the mustache battery, and it's going to be great. And he works really well with with the pitcher. Like, they like working with him as a, as a mind. It's just sometimes the yeah. You know, I think the only thing that gets frustrating is really the the limiting the run game and and for pitchers i don't think that's something that frustrates them as much as pitch calling working them with as a battery and receiving if it's going to get under anybody's skin it would be cole because he's so perfect you know what i mean it's like yeah hey i hold myself i was put to home there dude like what else do you want me to do you want me to throw it down it's like jake arietta bitching out miguel montero and then they release montero because it's like yeah i mean he is the the reigning cy young award winner so like we have to be okay with that um yeah, I, I could see Garrett Cole being like, we have a platinum glove catcher on the bench. Give me that guy. And then Rodon is like, all right, you and me, mustache. That works. Um, I'm curious, offensive profile-wise, do you think there's ever a point that he says, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of hit and I'm going to lean into the juice. I am a, I'm a bigger guy. I know I can get into it. I know I can hit a ball 450 feet. Could you see him becoming a teensy bit more three true outcoming or no? I think if he struggles and that's the nice thing is like, he can kind of rest on that laurel, right? Where it's like, okay, right. I could, I could be more selective and I can just hunt and try to do damage, but right, like, I don't can change. Yeah, I, exactly. And like to have like a plan B, like the way we talk about pitchers, like, Oh, if he doesn't work out this way, if this pitch doesn't come along, he can be this. It's usually doesn't work that way with hitters, but when you're a catcher and you're a lefty bad and, and you have the abilities that he has, I think it's a great question because I, I think it gives him almost a plan B. What I saw though, was in the final 10 games of the season, he was a little bit of both where it just seems like he figured it out in terms of bat to ball. He only struck out, I think 10% of the time over the final 10 games and he wasn't facing bums. Like he hit a 105 mile an hour shot line out off of Kevin Gossman. Then he homered off of Jordan Romano. Then he homered off of Merrill Kelly. Then he hit a rocket off of Kevin Ginkle. And then he hit a rocket off of Zach Gallon. Like he was putting up at bats against some of the best arms in the league. Um, and that was a part where it's like, I know he hits a shot off of Brandon fought. Um, so it was cool to see that. 107 mile an hour home run off of Eric Swanson, like using off of big league relievers and in tough spots. So I think the hit tools come along to where you can be a balance where it's like 260, good walk rate, 20 to 25. But if that batting average is closer to 230, then I think we see a world where he can try to sell out. And I think at Yankee Stadium, he, he could sneak 30, uh, but that would be selling out pretty hard. I yeah. wouldn't shock me as a backup plan, but I think for now he can he can hit two, 250, 260. And walk and hit you twenty home runs. Sweet, yeah, I'm I'm a fan. Yeah, 
going to number four. This is a guy that I, I think people are really mixed on. I've seen him really low on fan graphs. I mean, yeah. yeah, look, he was outside the top 15 or something like that on fan graphs, I think, which I think is a little, a little much. Um, and I know that they do, a, they did a really good job highlighting a lot of the prospects in this system, by the way. Like that's definitely another uh, Yankee system breakdown to check out, um, especially for the lower level guys. I get that Pereira whiffed a ton. I understand that. I understand that there's a monumental amount of risk and there's a good chance that he could be worse than maybe all of the guys that we talk about in the top 10 from a war perspective. There's also a chance that he could hit 35 home runs um, (laughs) and play center field. And just because of that, and again, I can't wait for the future rules thing. Like he's going to be a guy that's going to have like really high end outcome, really low end outcome, but he's still young. And I, I, I get really frustrated when we, you know, use big league stints to validate our fears, like short big league stints. Of course, there was always a concern about Pereira's hit tool. It doesn't mean that when he goes to the big leagues and struggles to hit that, that hundred percent validates that the hit tool will never work out. That was kind of the expectation for a guy that has concerns with the hit tool, that it's going to be a rough debut. The timing was a little shaky. He looked rushed at times. He looked uncomfortable. It might not all work. But when you have a 90th percentile exit velocity of 109, when you can play center field, when you walk at a a decent clip, and when when you have the bat speed that he has at 22, I'm going to see what it it looks like. I'm going to wait a little bit. And you're still going to be one of the top prospects in the system to me because of what he is capable of alone. Um, I think there's a reason why he hasn't been moved. Like This is a guy that I think they feel like they could regret moving. right? Like This is a guy that like if it all clicks, he's a monster. It might not all click, but with the the kind of upside he has, he's still a top five prospect in the system and a top 100 prospect to me. It's not like he's 25. He's no. 22. It's it's so funny to me how quick some people's memories are. And I don't – I like I'm not comparing Everson Pereira to Aaron Judge, but the same fan base is declaring the prospect status of Everson Pereira dead – after a 40% K rate in his first 20 something big league games, when in 2016 we watched Aaron Judge put up a 45% K rate and hit a buck 80 in his yeah. first 27 games, it doesn't translate right away for, for some people. Like Mason Wynn was not good in his first chance at the big leagues last year. Are Cardinals fans sounding the alarms on Mason no. Wynn? No. It's okay. Not every prospect is plug and play. This is just another example of a guy that is not plug and play. And that's okay. Like so much of the prospect intrigue when it comes to Everson Pereira is what could be when he's 25, 26 years old. Yeah. It's four years away. And and he's also been hurt. He's been look at, look at the game logs by year. Like this was the first year where he actually played like a, like a legitimately like full, full, full season. He's missed a lot of reps and has been aggressively assigned and pushed upwards. Like this guy has not really repeated a level that much at all. I, again, I understand the risk, but when you're running a 90th percentile, if you, if you take out the big league stint, like right around 110 miles an hour, like that puts him up there with Owen Casey that puts him up there with junior common And like, that's about it. There's not a lot of other guys that are hitting the ball that hard. Um, so to do that with that frame, with that athleticism in center field, like I'm, I'm willing to, to wear the risk here and yeah. look, it might not work out. That's fine. You don't get to, you get, you don't get an opportunity at players with this kind of upside very often. And, you know, my perspective hasn't really changed on him. Look at that swing, dude. Look how quick yeah. and powerful that I is. I was actually going to say, is that time Madden? Um, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. But 
I mean, like it's quick, short, powerful, and he hits the living crap out of the ball. So I think that's Brian Van Bell now, or, or was that? Oh, no, it's Kyder Montero. It's Kyder Montero. Okay, that's so Montero's got a really nice game, and that's clearly like a hanging breaking ball that, I mean. But that's the thing. Dude. He can crush fastballs and crush hangers, and with his kind of power, you can carve out a legitimate big league role, role yeah, that way. Absolutely. Demolishes lefties too, so that's another area where he can carve out a role. Number three. Chase Hampton, uh, the best pitching prospect in the system and holy diabolical fastball. Um, remember we were talking about vertical attack angle and then um, vertical attack angle, like uh, above average, basically, or just like how, and that's yeah. Alex Chamberlain, unbelievable job on that. His leaderboard is worth subscribing to. I know he just put it behind a paywall, which like good for him. That thing was way too good to be free. Um, yeah. And it's literally just like, buy me a coffee. Like, absolutely. Like that thing is an unbelievable resource it's honestly better than what i'm going to get from fan graphs or, or things like that because you get pitch specs you're able to compare it to prospects and and and, and really get a lot of an idea of what plays at the big league level so uh check that out from alex chamberlain but chase hampton it's a fastball at 92 to 94 sometimes grabbing a five but but yeah. it it's borderline plus plus because of the shape he gets 19 inches of vert from a five, eight release height, which like you know that that's above average stuff like that's above average carry and that's going to be already a, a 55 grade fastball at 93, but what really separates it and what really makes it one of the better fastballs in the minor leagues. I mean, at 31% in zone whiff rate, uh, 17% swinging strike rate was the fact that his vertical attack angle is so much flatter. And this is what makes Nestor Cortez good. He has the flattest vertical attack angle or vertical approach angle um, you know, relative to what is expected from that release height and that velocity in all of major league baseball. And that's why no one can hit his 90 mile an hour fastball. Hampton's doing a very similar thing in 93, where the average VAA for his release height of five, eight is about five, like a negative 5.0 chase Hampton's VAA is negative 4.3, which is more in line with guys who have a 5.5 foot release height. And, and there's a direct correlation between the lower, the release height, right? The flatter, the, the vertical approach angle is going to be right because the lower you release it, the flatter it's going to approach home plate. So it's just another way that your fastball can be unique and different. And when you look at pitchers who have roughly a, a negative four, three vertical approach angle or attack angle, yeah. those guys are usually throwing it from like a five, three release height. Like that's Brian Wu release height. Like, so to get that type of flat approach from a higher release is really impressive because the higher the release, the easier it is to induce vertical break. So there's all these things, right? It's like, it's like a give and take, you know, when you like build a player on 2k, you add the strength and you lose some speed yeah. and then you, you know, you, you, you add uh, some, something else and then you lose something else because you can't have it all. It's the same thing with VAA and, and, and release height, because the higher the release height, the harder it's going to be to have a flat VAA, yeah, right? Because yeah. how are you going to have a flat attack angle from a higher release point? Same thing with, induce vertical break the lower the release the harder it is to induce vertical break because it's just physically more difficult so it's like this balance i want to have more ivb but i want to have a flatter vaa so how do i have like a as lower release as possible but still have as much carry as possible and still have as flat of of a vaa as possible and it seems like hampton's like optimized that right because he's he's five eight release which is slightly below league average 19 inches of of induced vertical break that's comfortably well above. above league average yeah. and then a VAA that's out almost outlier. So that makes his fastball almost an outlier. And that's why it is a dominant pitch. Glad I got that out of the way. 
slider is the classic Yankee sweeper. It's gross. Yeah. Curveball was flashed above average. And the yeah. cutter is a great fourth pitch. Above average command, potentially. It's not there yet, but I think it's going to be because this is where I want you to talk about the delivery. Like, how smooth is that delivery? Another guy that, by the way, did the Yankees, you know, the little program and yeah. came out throwing, throwing this shit. So it's incredibly smooth. The thing that I wanted to say on the heels of you talking about the fastball was like chances are if you compile all three of those points on a scatter plot, what does that pitcher look like? He looks skinny. He looks lanky, right? He looks like a guy whose arm moves in a way that most human beings arms don't move. I was going to say he probably came from the NPB. Like, yeah, or yeah, it's just nothing with the baseball that like we don't see guys do a lot. Like right, and like the fingers are long as shit. He is built like a stocky, durable arm. Like stocky, durable arms should not produce metrics like that that match that fastball characteristic. No, like nobody that sits in any of those buckets is really like six three two twenty. Like oh, you look like you're going to give me two hundred innings. But that's what he is. He's six like three two twenty. How smooth is that delivery? It's it's stupidly smooth, and it almost like if you if you can't pause the gif here, but if you could almost pause it, you see the the ball end up like almost right next to his ear, and he's almost ripping it like a quarterback. You see that yep. where he's hey, let me throw a fastball to my slot receiver who's slanting over the middle. Like that's exactly where he's coming from. It's a natural delivery. There's a reason you see more and more pitchers throwing a football in the outfield three hours before first pitch. They want to feel the natural arm movement. They want to feel the natural throw. And this is a natural throw. And to be able to throw upwards almost is really hard because a lot of guys do that and they can't control it at all or they lose it to their arm side or whatever. They can't keep it the fastball straight. And um, that's exactly what what Hampson's able to do. And and it's it's pretty amazing because – He's just was able to hone in on that. And then you think about it now as a hitter, you're geared up for that. He more than half of his fastballs are at the top of the zone and they dominate up there. Then you're trying to cheat, you know, get, get there, get in a position to be able to hit that. And then he throws this downer curveball off of that or the sweepy slider. If you're a righty nightmare, nightmare. And the fact that he's the downer curveball to, to, to spell lefties and a cutter to run in on their hands He's going to he's going to be able to handle the splits. I think he's a number three starter uh, and, and pretty easily. Um, and I think he could, could give you flashes of a little bit more. Um, the command's got to come along a little bit more. But I think with that delivery, he, he's going to have above average command when it's all said and done. And I think that's a guy that could help the Yankees as soon as this year. Yeah. Number two, a guy that's like polarizing in a way, but not like I feel like a lot of people just no matter even before, with the season that he had Spencer Jones, by the way. Yeah. The season that he had, it like was slightly disappointing, but I felt like it would be more disappointing than it than it was. Like when I went back and looked at the numbers, I was like, okay, I felt I felt like it was gonna be, I thought I thought it was worse than that because I had such high expectations going into this year. But it's funny because like we were definitely the high folks on him in the beginning of the year, and he slipped a little bit for us because he didn't quite hit the way that I thought he was like from a consistent, I thought he would from a consistency standpoint. And he was a little bit aggressive and he put them on the ground a little bit too much, but he also showed flashes that the rest of the industry, like still really liked what they saw. And I think heard really good reports and, and we started to see this guy fly up the rankings on all, every, every single ranking except for one. Um, and I, I think it kind of brought me back to earth a little bit. I'm like, all right, like I'm pitting him against himself and I'm pitting him against my, my maybe unreasonable expectations for him in his first year of 
a full, full year of professional baseball. And it's important to note that like this guy underwent elbow surgery, didn't really get a lot of at bats in, in, in college, really only played one collegiate season, was mostly a two-way guy in, in, in high school. And then, you know, cameo, pro pro experience, you know, before 2023. And then 2023 was his first real full season. So, you know, pitchers were game planning for six, seven Spencer Jones. And, uh, you know, in, in the early parts of the year, he struggled a little bit. But then we saw flashes of big power. Uh, we saw flashes of elite speed for such a big guy. Still 43 bags, if I remember correctly. Um, a, a guy that could probably stick in center field. Uh, and then the hit tool looks like it can be good enough. Like the contact rates were palatable. He's got to cut down on the chase and he's got to elevate more. But if he does those things, you have a six seven center fielder, even if he moves to a corner, whatever, six seven outfielder who could steal 40 bags, who can hit 30 homers, maybe more if it all clicks. And I think makes enough contact. That's a dynamic player, even if there is a ton of risk here. Nobody that big should be still in that many bags. That was like my one takeaway here. Obviously, you can you can look at all the yellow flags, look at all the red flags you want. Like at the end of the day, man, he was flirting with 20 homers. His OPS was still around 800. And it's six, seven, two thirty, man. Like you should not be swiping 43 bags in 55 attempts. And it got like, better as the year went on in that department, too. Like he was more yeah. efficient as the year went on. I think early in the year, he like, I think was a little less efficient, kind of tanked the the success rate some. Right. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, there's no way you should be that fast. And I think it's a reason why I think I, ex- I expect him to be able to play a decent center. Um, it, the chase is a little bit high. He struggled to lay off a slide. He's a longer dude, obviously. So he's going to have to make decisions a little bit earlier. And I think that resulted in a little bit more chase. But he cut that down as the season went on. And started to hit a little bit more consistently, but then the power started to to dissipate some. So it was like he improved the contact rates, improved the approach, but then the power wasn't there. He was putting the ball on the ground too much. So he's got to find some some tweaks to just optimize that swing a little bit, be a little bit more direct to the ball while still creating that 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 loft. It's hard because you want to be direct, but sometimes when you're direct, you're too steep. So it's like yeah. it's kind of similar to what we're talking about with like give and take here. I think he's going to find it because at the end of the day, he, he does so many things that are unteachable. And yes, he's going to be 23 this coming season, but he's like a 21 year old in terms of experience in my mind as a hitter. And especially when you consider the age and things, um, this guy can still be a monster. And, and I don't think my assessment on him has really changed much. Um, when you look at it, I, I think I was, I was hoping that he would burst on the scene a little bit more, but I think that was probably just unfair and a little overly ambitious on my end. Cause he still did have a nice year. Like you said, yeah, lots of tread left on those tires for sure. Number one, no suspense here. This is a guy that, you know, it's been a roller coaster of, of like, we've probably talked about the prospect status for Jason Dominguez, right? Since he's signed for $5 million and was compared to every great player of all time. Was it Mickey um, Mantle? Yeah, Mickey, Mickey Mantle, Mantle, Mike Trout. Oh, yeah, all of it, right? And I yeah. still think that was the most unfair thing that's been done to a player I can think about in recent Did he memory. ever get the Otani comp? <laughs> no, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because it was just because Otani wasn't doing Otani shit yet. I'm sure they would have. Um, but Dominguez was a guy that, you know, we, my first time I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, this is ugly. But then just following, well, following the swing changes, the adjustments he made, the approach improvements, everything I listed all in the, in the write up that's linked, of course, in the episode description. Then I started to say, like, okay, this guy is like similar to what I was saying, what I did to Spencer Jones a little bit, but like in a way more extreme example. Because he was grace as a second coming, people really ignored the improvements that he made from both sides of the plate, defensively, approach, everything, base running, everything. He improved everything. Great makeup, and, and we saw it in real time. Um, 
And I think people ignored that because they didn't want to see incremental improvement. And I would say incremental is underselling it, but they, they didn't want to see that. They wanted to see instantly the, the greatest thing. And he wasn't that. He was shaky at the lower levels. So then when he was good at double A as a 19-year-old, no, a lot of people didn't care. And they should have because it was really impressive what he was doing. So really impressive the changes that he's made, the things that he figured out. And then you start to follow more and more through double A. I'm like, this, this is going to play, dude. Like, it's an above-average field to hit. Um, the right-handed swing has come along. The power's plus. Uh, he's still very fast. He can play a decent center. The approach got better. And we saw him tear through the minors and get a cameo in the big leagues and was phenomenal in eight games before tearing his UCL. I, I think this guy's a higher floor piece than people give him credit for. He's flown through the minor leagues, relatively speaking. He puts bat on ball. He walks, and the power's already been evident in games from both sides of the plate. And he can play all three outfield spots. I feel very confident that this guy's at least going to be an above-average regular. But I also think the Yankees have a multi-all-star here. Wow. You think so? I was going to ask you, what is I think top 15 the ceiling for Dominguez? Because the, the previous ceiling was 50-50 Hall of Famer. Correct. Now you yeah. think it's multi-time all-star? Again, I I can't wait to to put it in the buckets, right? Like, he, right. if 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 we had, you know, let's let's just just a little teaser. Like, if bucket one is, you know, MVP candidate, top ten player in the game, I, I don't think his ceiling is is necessarily that. There's a world where I could see him maybe become that, but I could argue that any multi all star, there's a world where you can see a guy become that. I think his ceiling is really closer to the the George Springer types, you know, like those guys. Uh, I, I I think it's more likely he winds up somewhere around there. Um, but that's a really good freaking player who through stretches is a top 20 player in the game. And I think he needs to be that. That still is a multi-time all-star. That's not a perennial all-star, but it's like, hey, you know, every other year, this guy is making an appearance. And like, and, and I think be, I think he can be close to that. Like, I think he'd be between you know, perennial and multi, but I, I think he's he's a guy that could, yeah, every couple of years make an all-star appearance. And, you know, again, you forget that, like, guys put 850 OPSs up, hit, 25, 30 bombs and still 25, 30 bags and sometimes don't make an all-star game. So, um, yeah. but I, I think he's going to be a multi all-star. I do think he, he has the potential to be a guy that could be right between multi and perennial. Um, yeah. But being able to play all those spots, being able to hit the way that he does, I think he's a higher floor guy than he gets credit for. Maybe the ceiling's slightly lower than we, we thought, but I'd take that because you're going to have an above average big league regular here. And I feel very confident about that. And I think, the way that he responded even in a week of the big leagues was telling, but also just most importantly, the way that he responded at the double A level. Like I broke it all down and, and I have a piece yeah. on it too. Um, and I'll link that in about how he cut the ground ball rates down, how he improved the chase rate, the mechanical adjustments that preceded that and the data that backed it. There's just so many things that it just all came together for him. And, and you can feel really confident about the hypothesis. I'm, I'm looking forward to him coming back from the injury. He should be back what a couple months into the season. And I think yeah. he's going to have a pretty prominent role with this team. I think it's the all-star break. Um, the the guy that may get pinched out is Verdugo or mm-hmm. Soto, depending on if Soto is walking at a 10% clip versus 30%. Um, no, like it's really going to come down to a matter of, all right, is Dominguez ready to take over for Verdugo full-time? And we're going to know that by the trade deadline. And the Yankees could make an addition by subtracting. And, and yeah, I, I think Dominguez, Dominguez is a better yeah. option immediately. I really do. And that's not even a sled on Verdugo. I just, I think Dominguez yeah. immediately, it can be a two and a half, three win player. And Verdugo's never I, been more than a two win player. I, I do think it's going to be health dependent, dependent for the back half of this year. Like if they yeah. feel like he might totally, be shaky, he might be shaky. 
You're right. He might be shaky and and the timing may just be off, right? Like he's, he's coming back in in August when Verdugo has four months of baseball under his belt. And he's like, well, time for me to go. I'm the Martian. I'm out of this world. (laughs) That's my favorite thing about Dominguez, by the way, he introduces himself as the Martian at airports on his way to his major league debut. Um, Godspeed, stay humble, but man, like, yeah, I, I do think that 2024 is going to be a question as to how much production you get from Dominguez in the back two months. 2025, yeah. though, this guy's the opening day center fielder. You can move Judge back to right, and it's all systems go. We're taking off to Mars. If he had a full season, you know, to go this year, like if, if he could play from from opening day, he'd probably be my my one of my favorite picks for rookie of the year because I'm always looking at the floor yeah. ceiling situation too. And of course, yeah. Caminero could run away with it. Some other guys could run away with it, but. Dominguez, I feel like if some of the other top guys struggle or swat out of the gate, I feel really good that he's just going to have a solid year and, and do it. So that that's where he's at. Um, and, and, and like you mentioned, like this might just kind of be one of those years where it's, I wouldn't say lost, but he might not make an impact till till later on because they really want him to get his footing back under him. And, um, you know, no reason to rush him out there and create bad habits or anything like that, especially with how much success he had last year uh, at every single level. But for sure, that'll do it for this episode. Uh, we have... A lot of fun things in store yeah, next week. I'm going to give a little bit of an update on, on the bonus episode structure. Thank you for everybody that, that, you know, reached out and, and gave some thoughts and, um, you know, kind of break that down and, and, and give you a little bit inside of, of how we're going to go about it. Uh, also keep an eye out for, uh, an update on kind of how we want to, maybe tweak some of the ways that we look at these prospects and grade them in these write-ups that I think will be a really fun conversation to have. Uh, and then raise top prospects next week, top 100 update in the works that will be, uh, probably done sometime in the next couple weeks. So looking forward to that as well. And um, we'll continue to churn out these team top prospect lists. Jack, any final thoughts? Well, what's really weird is you told me that Junior Caminero is going to be outside the top 10 raised prospects. <laughs> Don't do this to me before we go on. No, um, he will be Xavier Isaacs an honorable mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting Rays fans all riled up. I already got a couple of DMs asking, "Hey, when are you guys going to do it?" Now they're going to be like, "Never mind, I'm good." No, <laughs> with it, those guys will be at the top. Uh, but there will be some fun names in the back half of the top ten that uh, have been really interesting to dive into. So looking forward to doing that. As always, thank you for listening. Have a phenomenal weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we will talk prospects with you next week. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.